0: hallelujah, a Labor Day weekend. Is that what this is? Well, tomorrow I will labor to be closer to a hundred than I've ever been. Hallelujah. I will be older tomorrow. Hallelujah. But I have a A special miracle. Come up here, Ashley. Now, you're a woman, right?
1: Uh, I I am.
0: Okay, good deal. Quite clearly. I, I, I'm, I'm just saying that most people think that women are, you know, in the church. They aren't supposed to do anything, though God said your sons and daughters would prophesy, which it's means true. that they would be unctioned by God. The word unction really is like inspired in Second no. Peter that... They spake as they were inspired by the Holy Ghost. But I have uh, encouraged people for years to start using their faith. Tell me what happened the last two nights before this weekend.
1: (laughs) So um, I'm involved in worship anyway. Your church is represented in worship anyway, which is just basically a whole bunch of churches we get together to worship. And um, we had an event a few weeks ago, and there was a lady there who was in a wheelchair, and her one leg was propped up in the wheelchair, and Josh said to me, Ash, let's go pray for this lady. I said, okay. And uh, she told us what was wrong. She had a tear in her tendon in her knee, and Josh looked at me and said, go ahead, pray. No problem, I got this. So we prayed for her. She was believing God for a complete healing. She'd been like that for four years. Um, and she was believing God for a complete healing, and we prayed for her, and we went on our way. Um, Then the next weekend, we had two more events come up, and the next weekend, she came. She said, I want to tell you something, and she was still in the wheelchair, and I said, okay, and she said, I went to the doctor that following Monday, and the doctor told me, it's as if glue had been put in your tendon, and I have no idea why, but it's healed, And I thought, well, that is something to shout about. Let's shout about that. But I said, but let me ask you, why are you still in the wheelchair? And she said, well, my muscles have deteriorated over those years, and I'm not strong enough to walk. I said, well, do you think God started a miracle and he's just going to do a little bit? Because that's not the God I serve. He completes a miracle. He finishes the good work. He begins. So we prayed over again, and I told her, you know, that I'm believing God she's going to be healed. She said, well, can you pray for my marriage too? Because I'm on the brink of divorce. And I said, sure can. So I prayed over her marriage. She had some issues when she was younger. She had an estranged relationship with her daughter. Her daughter wasn't speaking to her. And so we just prayed for a whole healing. And I told her that that physical healing was going to be the start to a spiritual healing, to an emotional healing. And we just prayed for That very next night, we were at another event, and she comes walking down the aisle (laughs) as we're up there rehearsing. And I jump off the keyboard, and I'm like, what? She's like, ever since you prayed, I got up. I got no pain. I feel good. I feel amazing. And I said, that's awesome. And she said, but let me tell you something else that's happened. My daughter called me last night and said to me. (laughs) She hadn't
0: talked to her for...
1: For years. 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 She said, my daughter called me last night and said, Mom, I just want to tell you I forgive you, and let's repair this relationship. And I was was literally blown away. I was like, okay, God, all right. Then literally 10 minutes later, here comes her husband down the aisle. And he said, I want to talk to you. And I was like, oh, buddy. All right, let's talk. And he said, you've prayed for my wife. She's been healed physically. Last night, we actually got on the same page, and we ain't getting divorced. We are going forward. God is going to heal our marriage, and I got faith to believe it, and I just wanted to say thank you. And I said, there's no thank you given to me. It's all given to Jesus. But I'm telling you, you sit in a house with pastors and pastoral leadership that has taught me this since I've been 12 years old and going here. This is for All of us to do. You see a need, do it. Pray.
0: Now her husband got saved.
1: Her husband got saved. Her whole family is going to get changed.
0: Yes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Ashley. Praise God. You know, there are a million miracles waiting to happen. But it takes people to make them happen. You know, we can complain about this and we can complain about that. There is no reason for complaint, but there is every reason to do something. Amen? And that is what every believer is called to do, is to be a miracle worker. And, uh, you know, well, what if it never happens for me? I don't know. But I'm just telling you what Jesus told believers to do. If you go, you pray, they'll be healed. And uh, so let's not think about the negative. Let's think about the positive. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, we have a special guest with us. He's no stranger to our house. His name is Pastor Kylan Boozer, and uh, he has come over from the uh, house in Urbana, and uh, he's, the church over there is just doing great and thriving under his and Margot's leadership. And uh, so, we're just ecstatic about what God is doing over there and uh, what he's doing in the other campuses. Uh, Dayton has started looking, uh, they're looking at a building even as we speak, but uh, they're so they're expanding, they're getting ready to do a lot of great things, and, uh, but God has been good to us. And so today, uh, Kylan's message has to do with an upheaval of what has been coming out of quote unquote uh, maybe traditional denominational belief systems that exclude women. Yet the Bible said that God poured out his spirit upon sons and daughters. It's the same spirit that inspired them at the writing of the scriptures. And it is the same spirit that inspires them to speak, to preach, and to proclaim the power and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when I heard Kylan in his poetic way of saying things, I knew that nobody could get offended at Kylan. So I figured maybe Kylan would be the one that I needed to preach it. And uh, there are a lot of things in the body of Christ that are erroneous, that are divisive, that are are destructive. And the reason that they are there is because we don't always preach on them. Sometimes people aren't ready to preach on them because they don't have enough love to love anybody but themselves. And we need to increase our love so that we can accept people at any face value. Remember, it covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't find them. And so I had asked Kylan to come over, and uh, he brought his reinforcements. Margo is with him. And uh, so I know there's no fear in him because she's able to handle anything that aggravates him. So praise God. Kylie, will you please come on up here and <laughs> hallelujah. Do what you do best. Praise God. <laughs> Love you, All right, well, amen. Well, it's good to be here.
2: So good morning to you and uh, uh, greetings from the Urbana campus. And as Pastor said, things are going well. We've been there just a little over two years now. So, but even when I come back here, I feel just like comfortable, slide right in, an old shoe like we're putting on old comfortable pair of shoes when I come back here. It's uh, it's this past April was 25 years since Margot and I moved from Pennsylvania to come be a part of Only Believe, 25 years. And um, at that time, I was the youth pastor. And we appreciate the pastors because when we moved from Pennsylvania, we left all of our family behind. So we've been living in this area without our family being here. And the pastors have become our spiritual guardians all these years, and we appreciate them. We love them. And, and uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. I was youth pastoring in Pennsylvania. I was a young guy. And at the very end of my time there, just because of different things going on, uh, the leadership almost became abusive towards staff and, and things uh, that were happening in the church. And I came to pastor, and Yass and has come out to hire us to, to youth pastor here. And I told him, I said, if this church is anything like what I'm coming from, I'll walk away from here and I'll never be a part of ministry the rest of my life. But thank God we find a healthy house with healthy leaders where the Spirit of God moves and is free. And the things of God happen in this place. So that's why we're still connected to this place. But anyhow, isn't Jesus good? I would encourage you, when when the Bible says that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that, that is fulfilling in your life. That he is the only way to the Father, but he he is the way of reconciliation with God. That's right relationship. He is the truth from which all things come, and he is the life. But I would encourage you, if you're not walking in the abundance of life because of the freedom from sin, keep seeking and finding because he will bring freedom to you. I believe that in all areas of your life. And, And by the way, just to say that, you know, they announced earlier, that this Wednesday, small groups start. And we as a church, one of the things that we believe that you will find freedom here, and one of the ways that that can happen is in the context of relationships. So if you're not a part of small groups, please, after church, please sign up. They start Wednesday night. It's good for you to be in relationships. One of our values is that we value relationships in our churches. So please be a part of the small groups and sign up after church today if you are not. Amen. By the way, Pastor Rick Burks is preaching at my church. So we kind of did a campus shuffle today. It's really cool. So I'm sure he's given a word and they always look forward to him being over there. So, uh, but pastor did bring me here on assignment today. And it's, what happens is pastor will often call and, and every once in he calls more than I do, but every once in a while uh, I'll call and we just, hey, how did service go yesterday? And we talk about church and and, and how service went and, and what, we're, what we're speaking on at the time. And on Wednesday nights for about 10 weeks, I did a chapter by chapter walk through the book of Romans. And if you know anything about Romans, Romans is dense. It, it's, it's the great theological writing of Paul. And it's very dense, a lot of things going on. And uh, so, we, eight or 10 weeks, but the very last week, the way it worked out, only thing was left was Romans 16. And it would appear that Romans 16 is sort of a throwaway chapter at the end of Romans. So you have this. Big, dense theological writing. You really have to work through and think about it. Uh, They'll they'll even say that once you get to chapter 7, start at the end and go backwards because it overlays itself as you go backwards. A lot of things involved. But Romans 16, um, Paul just just does a series of shout-outs to people. There's over 20 people he names there, and he kind of gives shout-outs to them. It's sort of the closing of the book of Romans, and it seems to be kind of a throwaway chapter, except there's something very interesting that happens in Romans 16. Now, the book of Romans was written to the churches in Rome. Paul did not found those churches, um, and he was planning on visiting the churches in Rome on a trip to Spain. If you read the end of 16, he actually talks about this. But before he could go on this this journey, he had a collection that he was going to take back to Jerusalem. He actually was a little worried about his safety, so he asked for prayers in, in that endeavor but he planned on visiting the churches in Rome. He knew some things about them, obviously, by his writing, but he didn't know uh, everything about that's happening there. But Paul writes this letter because he wants to make sure the churches are all on the same page about what the gospel is. So so sort of the thesis of the book of Romans, you find it in Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17, I believe, and, and he says this great statement, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For the power of God for salvation for those who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Then he draws from the prophet uh, Habakkuk, and he says, and the righteous shall live by faith. Okay. And then, then later, uh, as we find in chapter 3, kind of, kind of the, the pivotal moment of the book of Romans where he draws from, he says, um, but now apart from the law, a righteousness of God has been known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness that is given by faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between the Jew or the Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but all can be justified freely by the grace through redemption by Jesus. So That's really what the book of Romans is about. But the reason he uh, he goes in some other things is because at Rome, in those churches, you had Gentile believers and you had Jewish believers. And it was really interesting that there was a time when uh, the Emperor Claudius, uh, at the time, he, he made all the Jews leave Rome because of things that were happening. So you have this establishing Gentile church, and these Roman uh, Jews were coming back into Rome, and some of them were believers. Now you have conflict do the Gentile believers have to live by Jewish law, Mosaic law? So Paul goes into different things about what that's about, but ultimately what Paul is always dealing with is we've got to get along. and We've got to be the body of Jesus together. First for the Jew, then the Gentile, those under the law, those not under the law, we find faith in Jesus. So Romans works itself out like that. But Romans chapter 16, if you want to go there, it's, it's, we're going to jump in, and this is going to be a bit of a walkthrough. If you have your Bible, crack your knuckles. We've got several passages of Scripture we want to jump into. But one thing that Romans does in chapter 16, again, it highlights over 20 people that Paul shouts out by name. But what's super interesting is the women that he highlights. Actually, he... His highlighting of the women in Romans 16 is actually unusual for the time period and the culture in which this letter was written. So let's just start there, and you'll start to see what I mean. Romans chapter 16 and verse number 1. It says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centria that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Now, Phoebe is a really interesting person here. Uh, That word, if if you've got your Bible, if you look up on the screen, it says, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant. If you have your Bible and you're taking notes, circle that word servants. Because that word, Paul uses that word in in the Greek elsewhere when he talks about Timothy, when he talks about Apollos, and even when he references himself. That word uh, servant actually means deacon. But for some reason, the translation puts servant there. It actually carries the connotation of minister or minister in the church. In other words, that church, Sancria, Where she is from, she is a minister, a deacon in that church. What's that say? She was of leadership level in the church in which she was involved in. But what is also very interesting about Phoebe is that because of the way Paul writes this and and, and quotes this, it is without a doubt, scholars land on this, that Phoebe was the one who brought the letter of Romans to the churches in Rome. She was the carrier of the letter. And often what happens is, as the one who is sent is, is, is like the one who sent them, that, that was sort of the, uh, the way they looked at the letter carriers, she would come with the authority of Paul himself with this letter. And most often what would happen is, the one who brings the letter then reads the letter to the church. So if you can imagine, most likely... That the very first time that the letter to the churches in Rome, what we have is the book of Romans, is read to the very first churches brought to by a woman. Now, I don't know about you. If you've ever read through the book of Romans, if you read that in front of somebody, you're carrying some authority, and there's a teaching that comes with it. So Phoebe brings the letter, most likely, in all probability, she read the letter. And as she's coming with an authority, so notice Paul, uh, he he calls her a leader in her own church. And now she's coming with this letter, and she's coming with the authority of Paul. Paul is basically saying, you listen to this, girl. She has authority in her own right, but she also brings my authority with this letter. And what she would have uh, been as the one who reads the letter, brings the letter, she would have been the one then that could have answered questions about it. And most likely she would have been involved in the working out of what Paul is saying. So right away, Romans 16, it it looks like a throwaway part of the the book of Romans because of of just shout outs to people. We find in the very beginning we have Phoebe who is a leader in a church who brings the authority of Paul with this book of Romans. Pretty interesting, right? Verse number 3. This is also interesting right here. It says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. So Priscilla is a woman, Aquila is a man. Uh, Some translations have Prisca there for Priscilla. Now watch what he says about them. Who risked their own necks for my life. To whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the what that's in their house. What's in their house? A church. Greet the church that is in their house. Now, uh, and and it also, um, well. Priscilla and Aquila, by the way, they pop up with Paul in different places. Uh, If you research their names, they show up at different times in the book of Acts and the writings of Paul. What is super interesting about this is this is unusual because Paul lists Her name first. That's been highly unusual in Roman culture, Roman Greco culture, because that culture is very male dominated, very patriarchal. So, by putting Aquila behind Priscilla in all the places that Paul talks about them, what he's saying is that Aquila is not as prominent as Priscilla in the relationship and in the workings. Very unusual. Notice it says, the church that meets in their house. Most likely, again, scholarship lands on this, that Aquila and Priscilla were pastoring leaders of a church in their house. But notice who Paul puts first in the relationship. Priscilla. It carries scholar weight that Priscilla was more prominent. As a matter of fact, I want to show you something else here. Uh, Go to Acts chapter 18. We'll come back to Romans 16, so keep your finger there. Acts chapter 18 and verse number 24. Now, now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. Though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla, I'm I'm going to talk about that in just a second, heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So... You have Apollos, who's preaching mightily about the things of God. Priscilla and Aquila hear him. He must have been deficient in something. He only understood the baptism of John. So they pull him aside, and as a couple, they explain to him in a better way so he can go preach better, pretty much what's happening. So what's interesting about this, the King James Version, New King James, has Aquila listed first here, but in the Greek, it's actually Priscilla in front of Aquila. Now, now there may, be, there may be a trivial reason for this. There are different uh, uh, original source manuscripts that translations use. I actually have a friend who's a professor uh, at a, a school in Kentucky, one of my best friends. He was adjunct professor of Greek at uh, Asbury Theological Seminary in Kentucky. I called him the other day, I asked him about this. I said, how comes my Greek source has Priscilla first, but some of these translations put Aquila first? And he goes, wow, I never noticed that before. He says he's going to check it out, but he hasn't got back to me yet. But there may be, It may be trivial, but there may be a possibility because there's teaching of a man involved. They flipped the name to put the emphasis on the man and not the woman. But see, the Greek word there for explained, that's plural. That means both Priscilla and Aquila participated in the teaching explaining to Apollos the better way of Teaching the gospel. So scholarly weight falls on Priscilla and Aquila, leaders and a pastoring in a church, but also we see an example where they're together teaching a man. All right, let's keep going. Interesting to you? Okay, Romans 16, let's go back there. Now we're about to get into the the one that's like really debated okay romans chapter 16 and and in verse 6 by the way he greets mary it's it's not maybe the mary that comes to your mind but says who labored much for us again that highlight there that he would say that means it was it was beyond just uh uh, trivial things for the church but she did some things that were notable but verse 7 here we go greet andronicus and junia my countrymen, and my fellow prisoners, watch what it says there, who are of note among the who? The apostles, who also were in Christ before me. This is super debated because you will find some translations that instead of junia, it has junius. Junia is the female, junius is the male. And there's some debate there, not really much big, because scholarship lands heavily on the fact that Junia is right and is talking about a woman. But why is that a big deal? Because of what it says after it. Who are notable among the who? The apostles. Now, now some translations put Junia there then they then they say something like this. They go, uh, they are notable to the apostles or the apostles know them and they, they like them. But Craig Keener uh, um, who is uh, a scholar, he, he's at Asbury. Reading him the other day, no doubt about it, this is a woman, and, and, and being with that name, they're probably a couple, they are apostles. And they carry the weight of apostleship. Now, I'm sure a pastor at some point can explain to you what did apostles do but they certainly were carrying forth the gospel. They were foundation builders of the gospel, and include the signs and wonders and teaching all sorts of stuff. So you go to Ephesians chapter 4 of the fivefold ministry gifts. What is the very first ministry gift that Paul lists? Apostles. So now we find Phoebe, leader, deacon in the church. We have Priscilla, who's helping do a church in her home, and most likely more prominent than her husband, now we got a woman that's called an apostle. See what I'm getting at here. There's, there's a case being built. So what happens is when you see places in Paul where he, he writes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we'll go there in a little bit, he says women should be silent in church. Well, you get to First Timothy chapter 2 when he says, I do not allow women woman to teach or have authority over a man. Then you see things like this, you go, well, wait a second. And now we, we have a healthy tension in Scripture. And what you do is when you find a healthy tension in Scripture, you start to dig around and find out why there's a healthy tension in the Scripture. Where Paul says over here, women should be silent in church, but yet we got uh, Phoebe bringing the letter, most likely reading it in church. We got a woman who's being called an apostle. You, you see there's tension there the way you do about that. Well, we'll get to those passages in just a few moments. But before we do that, I just want to jump around the Bible a little bit. And highlight some other places where we have some ladies doing the things of God. Judges chapter 4. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Judges chapter number 4. We're going to meet a woman here named Deborah. Judges chapter 4 and let's start in uh, verse number 4. That'd be good if I was in Judges and not Ruth. There we go. All right. You get there. All right, verse number four. Now Deborah. Notice what the recording says about her. A prophetess. A lot of translations just have the word prophet there the wife of Lapidus was judging Israel at that time. In other words, she was the leader of Israel. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah, they even named a tree after her, between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for what? Judgment. So here we have a woman. It's just a quick highlight. We have a woman who is the leader of Israel, called a prophet, by the way. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. We'll catch another lady that's called a prophet in the Old Testament. And all of Israel would come to her to judge disputes and whatever's happening in the nation. She was the leader of Israel at that time. What's interesting about this story, if you follow it through, that there's a battle that happens, and I want to read this to you just by the way, uh, the book of Judges, if it was a Netflix series, it would be rated mature, all right? Because there's a lot of gore and, and gut, guts and blood in it. But, but watch, uh, watch what happens here down to verse number 18. There's a battle. There's this guy named Sisera who's, who's the commander of the army that Israel's fighting against. He, he's running away. And in verse 18, and Jael went out to meet Sisera. So Sisera shows up at the tent of this woman named Jael. And said to him, turn aside, my Lord, and and, uh, turn aside to me. Do not fear. Yeah. Yeah, watch this. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. Then he said to her, please give me a little water to drink. I'm thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk and, and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, he tries to tell her what to do, stand at the door of the tent and if any man comes and inquires of you and says, is there any man here, you shall say no. Then Jael Hebner's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple, and he went down into the ground. You See that? You got... Deborah, the woman leading Israel, and the final mark of this battle was a woman killing the general of the opposing army. Women are being highlighted here as a strength in Israel. You see that? Let's do another one. 2 Kings chapter 22. And verse number 13. So, so the back story of this is uh, there's a king named Josiah. Uh, the temple of God is being repaired. In this happening, they came across and found the book of the law. The book of the law is, is taken to Josiah, and it is read to him, and he is completely dismayed by what he hears and wants to inquire of God about what to do. So verse number 13, this is Josiah talking, King Josiah. Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest, Aekum, Akbor, Stophan, and Isaiah went to hold went to who? To The prophetess, or the prophet, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikbah, to the son of Haras, the keeper of the wardrobe, for she dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they spoke with her. Then she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, that's King Josiah, Thus says the Lord, and you can read what she says. So both with Deborah and now Hoda, we find two women that are prophets, and, and we're not talking about uh, infilling of the spirit, gift of prophecy. First Corinthians twelve. We're talking about mantle anointed prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah, amen. But also along with what Pastor's saying, to, to keep moving here, Joel chapter two, verse number twenty-eight, and Pastor highlighted this a little bit ago. Joel chapter number two. We're kind of building a case here for women in the work of God. Joel chapter number two. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your... Shall prophesy. Your old men dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men's servants and my maid servants. In other words, that's just saying on your men... And your women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, now we know Acts chapter 2, this happens. Peter uh, confirms this by saying what was prophesied by the prophet Joel, this is what is happening. So we know that beyond uh, mantles of anointings, that the Spirit of God will be poured out on all flesh, not just men, but women also. Amen. uh, Ladies. You should be shouting this entire message. I'm just saying. This this is for y'all today. And gentlemen, you should be sitting here saying amen too, because we're supporting what God is doing. Is that correct? Now, we actually see an example of this in the Bible. So if you go to Acts uh, chapter 21 and verse number 8. Again, these are kind of picking up mid-stories. You can go back and read this stuff later. Acts 21, verse number 8. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. And watch this verse right here. Now this man had four virgin or unmarried daughters, and what did they do? So we find examples with Deborah and Hoda, their prophets, mantle prophets. Now we find... These four girls, uh, daughters of of Philip the Evangelist, who were filled with the Spirit and exercised 1 Corinthians prophecy, gift of prophecy. All right, we're, we're building a case here. These next two, let's see what time I got. All right, we're good. These next two are actually my favorite of all this. John chapter 20. And verse number 11. So in in the Gospels, obviously the the whole entire Scripture is a testimony to Jesus, but the Gospels bring it home. And you find in the Gospels three times where there, there are marked and great revelations about Jesus that come forth, okay? The first one is angels. Remember they go announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. Born you, born this day in the city of David, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Right. So, the announcement of the birth of Jesus, God in flesh, history is about to be entirely changed, is announced by angels. The second great revelation that we find in the Gospels is one of Peter's shining moments. Okay. Remember, Jesus asked, "Who do people say that I am?" And they say this different stuff. And Peter steps up, and in a shining moment, he says, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." Right. The second great moment of revelation that Jesus is fully identified in who he is by a human being. And Jesus says, hey, that that didn't come to you by your own thing. That was given to you by God. And on you, on this rock, on that revelation, I will build my church. Second great revelation. First one by angels. Second one by a man. Now here's the third one. John chapter 20 and verse number 11. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And that Mary right there is Mary Magdalene. And she saw two angels in white sitting, and one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she's supposing him to be the gardener. And that, John is my favorite author in the Bible because he thinks so big. John is taking us back, thinking Jesus was the gardener. Yes, he's the great gardener. He's, he's taking us back to uh, uh, the Garden of Eden. Where the gardener God creates something and put man in it. Now, as we're going to see in Paul just a minute, this is very interesting. When man falls in sin, who is technically the first that brings the issue? Eve. And here Jesus is taking a woman back to the garden to write that which was wrong. And Mary Magdalene thought he was the gardener and said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. And I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him and said, Rabbi, which is in Aramaic means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I am not ascended to my father, but go tell my brethren. Watch this. Go, go tell who? Go tell the boys. And say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that He had spoken these things to her. This is the third great revelation of Jesus that we find in the Gospels. The first by the angels, the second by a man, and now the announcement of the risen Savior comes through a woman. Amen. As a matter of fact, in history, Mary Magdalene has been called the Apostle to the Apostles because she was the very first one that carried the apostolic message of the risen Savior. Amen. That's good. That's good right there. Here's another one, John chapter 4. We'll do one more, then we'll get to some things about Paul. This one I find also very interesting, John chapter 4. And by the way, uh, at this time, what's so remarkable about the Gospels and, and and the Gospel of John is that the witness of women didn't carry anything. They, they wouldn't have been really used in court hearings or anything like that because their witness was not credible. But the Gospels constantly highlight women around Jesus in the work of the ministry of Jesus that says something. And, and when uh, the great witness of the risen Savior, John didn't have to tell that story He could have skipped right to the part as the disciples heard that Jesus was risen. They ran, and eventually they found him, and all these things happening. But John purposely highlights the fact that a woman took the message to the disciples. Here's another one that's just like that. John chapter 4. We're going to kind of have to pick through this a little bit, but it it carries a point. John chapter 4, let's let's just start in verse number 5. So he, Jesus, came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near a plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And that's true. So in that time period, although Jews and Samaritans came from the same stock, they were enemies. They did not like each other. Okay? That's why uh, the parable of the good Samaritan is so shocking. That Jesus said, in this situation, the Samaritan acted most like God. That would have been shocking at the time. So... Not only is she questioning him, I'm a Samaritan, also a woman. You're a teacher. Why are you talking to me? That's significant. Let's jump down to verse 25. So Jesus is ministering to her. Uh, the, The gift of knowledge is working with him in this situation. In verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Verse 27, at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no one said, what do you seek, or, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water pot, went away to the city, and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Now, I want to I bookend that with something. Just go to verse 34. This is disciples questioning him. And Jesus said to his disciples, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say there are four months. Do you not say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white with the harvest. And he who reaps receives the wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others had labored, and yet you have entered into their labors. Verse 39. And many of the Samaritans that, of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. you, you see that? Jesus meets a woman, ministers to her, she goes off to her town to tell the men to tell the town of what is happening, and then Jesus takes a great moment where his disciples to say, "In other words, there is the harvest here. Let's get about the business of the harvest, right?" And then it says, "Many came and heard it and believed because of the testimony of the woman. Who does John highlight right here as doing the work of the kingdom, the woman? He puts that story together where a woman who most likely he shouldn't have been talking to, a Samaritan which would have been enemies of Israel, yet here is an example of what it means to do the work of the kingdom right here. That's how John frames that. That, That's pretty good right there. Okay, there's some other thing we could talk about. Let's just go back to Paul a little bit. So I want to go to 1 Corinthians 11, 14 and, and to Timothy 2 and explain some things there. But let me tell you some things about Paul. Paul, um, if, if you read his letters, he, he is often very much addressing very specific situations that are happening in churches that are receiving his letters. And Paul very much speaks to the culture in which he is writing. I'll give you an example. Slaves, obey your masters. Paul says that in more than one place in his writings. Now, as we know, the trajectory of history, no matter what kind of slavery it is, slavery is wrong, it Is not of the freedom in Jesus. But why is Paul telling slaves to obey their masters? He's speaking to a cultural context because there is slavery, and he's saying, hey, slaves, this is your position, but as a believer in Jesus, this is much how you must respond to the position that you are in. That's what he does. So we find that in his writings. But on the flip side of it, Paul is very progressive. And Paul pushes the bounds of of what is normal in, in a big way because then he says things like this. In him, there's no Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. And there's neither male nor female. So in some ways, he speaks to the culture in which he's writing to, but other ways, he's pushing it. So if you think about that, and Paul says uh, that latter part a couple of different times in his writings, you think about that. Jew or Gentile, Jew or Greek. So if you're not a Jew, that's everybody else. You're either a slave or you're not. And I know there's, there's different uh, ways in, in this culture of, of, of how that breaks down, but you're either a slave or you're not, right? And then, despite our culture today, there is either male or there is female. And Paul is saying, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your social status, and no matter your gender, when we are in the body of Jesus together, we all stand in equal footing. Not that you lose those distinctions, but by no means do we lose those distinctions, but in him, he is one and the same to all of us. So in some sense, slave obey your masters. He's speaking the culture. In other sense, that he, he actually pushes those boundaries. And one of the greatest examples we see of Paul in this is actually a book that's not preached out of much in the church. Is the book of Philemon. Philemon is a wonderful example of what Paul's doing. So uh, the back history there is you have Philemon, who is the owner of a slave, slave named Onesimus. Onesimus somehow ends up with Paul, uh, whether he ran away or he was sent on an errand and never came back. But he ends up with Paul and does the work of ministry with Paul so much that Paul likes him and wants to keep him around. And Paul writes a letter to Philemon, and, and what he's getting at with this is, look, Onesimus is a good guy. Whenever he has wronged you, I'll actually cover that wrong. But when he sends Onesimus back, Paul makes a statement, something like this. It's in Philemon 15 and 16. He says, receive him back, and in in a way, no longer as a slave, but as a brother in the Lord. You see how Paul is, he's messing with social structure. He's messing with social status. That's what Paul's about. Now, the tensions in Paul. So, We see all these things about women. We even see how Paul deals with social tensions. Then we have these statements in 1 Corinthians 14 and and 1 Timothy 2 about women in church. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 and verse number 5. I want to preface chapter 14 with with a a simple verse right here. 1 Corinthians 11, and, and... Uh, 11 down through 14, Paul's dealing with with structural things, uh, order of the church, the gathering of the believers. In verse number 5 he says, but every woman who, who prays or prophesies. So Paul is saying right here that a woman in the gathering of believers can pray and can prophesy, right? All women who pray and prophesy Uh, with her head uncovered dishonors her head, that is one the same as if her head was shaved. So that's a whole other business. We won't get into the cultural aspects of, of the head coverings and things back then. But right here we have a woman is allowed to pray and prophesy in the church, in the gathering of believers. Now jump to 1 Corinthians 14 and verse number 33. Paul, again, still dealing with church structure and order in the church. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they will be submissive, as also the law says. And, and nowhere in the Mosaic Law does it say that. Uh, there's a lot of debate on what Paul means by that. Guys, can you imagine? Guys, how many of y'all are married? Let me see, who's married? Gentlemen, can you imagine you're about ready to pull in the church parking lot today and you look at your wife and say remember shush you may not say you must be silent you may not say anything until we circle back out and get back out in the street can you imagine how many of y'all are expecting a right hook across the car anybody okay (laughs) yeah Now, verse 35, if they want to learn something, let them ask their husbands at home for a shameful for a woman to speak in church. So, we got chapter 11 about women praying and prophesying in church, but here we have in chapter 14, Paul saying, women, be silent. Here's the situation. In, the, in that day, again, very male-dominated, very patriarchal, women were simply unlearned. And what was happening in church situation, there's there's some sort of uh, exhortation happening. And apparently in this situation, the ladies were simply asking their husbands questions out loud and disrupting the service. It's it's that simple. And Paul says, "Look, look, tell them to be quiet, tell them to be submissive, not to break the order. And when they get home, they can ask their questions. Paul wants them to learn, but don't disrupt the church order to make it happen. Now, there's two big assumptions right there. A that the husband actually knows what he's talking about. And B, what about the single ladies? I want to ask Paul, what about the ladies that aren't married? What are they supposed to do? So there's unanswered things, but he's speaking to wives here in the order of a church because you're unlearned and they want to ask questions. They're they're hearing things that are causing them to say, hey, what's he mean by that? What's happening? Out loud, they're disrupting the church. Can you imagine our church today, especially with this size of a crowd, if there's a whole bunch of people talking and asking questions while we're up here trying to exhort you? It would be chaos, wouldn't it? Paul's saying, shh. If you got questions, ask at home. He wants them to learn, but do it in the proper way. Okay, so, so that's one thing of dealing with what Paul says. Paul is not telling women to be silent. He's saying don't disrupt the order of the church to ask your questions. That simple. By the way, I'm thankful that the women aren't silent in church. I'm being serious. There, there are... There are Churches out there, denominations that are really far over here, the women can't do anything. Totally, completely out of the picture. There's kind of a a tag along in the situation. No no women teaching our kids in Kids Church. No women on the stage involved in our worship and leading our worship. No words of prophecies that come forth that encourage work. And by the way, there's something really interesting about prophecy. So, I think it's 1 Corinthians uh, 14.31. I'm giving EJ a workout today. Thank you, EJ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.31. Notice what Paul says about uh, prophecy here. Again, about order. For you can all prophesy one by, uh, prophesy one by one, that all may do what? Now, Women be silent Churches we're going to see in, in First Timothy. He said, women can't teach. Now, here's the deal. When somebody comes down in, in our order of this specific church, they'll come down, they'll give a word. They don't come down with the intention of teaching. They don't come and say, okay, this is what I learned in my Bible lesson, my Bible study this week. What they do is they come forth and give a word from God. But that word from God may bring something that we learn from. How can a woman prophesy but not allowed to be technically teaching the church? It's not possible. You see what I'm getting at? All right, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Here's the big one. This is the, this is the white whale right here. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read this, and I'm going to give you some historical background and put this in some context. 1 Timothy 2 and uh, verse number 8. It says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubt. And so there's some issues. There's fighting, but, but there's other issues going on. Let's, let's deal with this, Timothy. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper, proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, woman being deceived fell in transgression. Nevertheless, she'll be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with self-control. Now, I think We see the whole business about the braiding of hair and gold and and pearls and and expensive clothing. Now, I would imagine, I can't see very well, there may be a couple ladies in here that your hair is braided today. How many of you ladies ever came to this church and your hair was braided? Anybody? Okay, especially some of the younger ones are raising their hand. How many ladies this morning have something on your physical body that contains gold? Your wedding, that's about everybody. I'm not sure pearls are in anymore as, as a fashion thing, but maybe pearls too. We would look at that and say, that's cultural context. We don't need to abide by that. We're not, we're not checking your door. You got gold? Yep, got to go home. No gold in the house today, ladies. Get out of here. Oh, if your hair is braided, let it down and you can't come in. Oh, string of pearls, you're out. Wait, how much was your dress? Where are we going to draw the dress threshold of what's expensive attire? You spend more than 50 bucks on that? Go home, Change. Come back in your sweatpants, you know. We, we would say that's a cultural thing. I'll explain what Paul's talking about there. But then they want to hold to what Paul says next about women teaching authority. Then, then, then we get to this whole weird statement that Paul makes about women being saved in childbirth. What's that about? So we want to kind of have some theological explanation for that and kind of throw that away and hold on to the middle. It's hard to do that. Let me give you some background here. At the time that Timothy was leading a church in Ephesus, and that's where Timothy was, uh, the Ephesus. And, and by the way, uh, you're, you'll see an account of this in Acts chapter, I believe, 28. Or, no, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 19, verses 23 on down. In Ephesus was what was known as one of the seven wonders of the world at the time. And it was this temple, by by that day's standards, very big, about two football fields in in, in size, a temple to the Greek goddess Artemis. Now, if you're up on your your Greek and Roman mythology, Artemis, uh, her counterpart in the Roman mythology was Diana. But this giant temple, was in Ephesus. And again, if you read, I think it's Acts chapter 19 at the back end of it, Paul calls the disturbance in Ephesus according to the cult of Artemis so much that there was a riot in the town about it. Check it out. So we know the gospel was affecting what was happening in Ephesus according to this temple cult. So the temple cult of Artemis, being one of the seven wonders of the world, people would have traveled from all over to this temple to participate in the temple cult. What's interesting about the temple cult of Artemis, obviously a female, she in their mythology was the daughter of Zeus. She was the the twin of Apollos, okay? Um, They they would have only had female priestesses run the temple cult, only women. And with that then, you would have probably uh, uh, shrine prostitutes and things of that nature. But it was a, a, a giant... Uh, come see this thing, cultic activity where there's offerings being done, they're raising their kids in this, the, the girls of the town of Ephesus would have been well-informed in this cult that was run by women. Now, now, that makes something to say about what Paul says here. So when he starts talking about the braided hair, see, in Roman society, and I know this may sound strange this, but, but hairstyle meant status. How you did your hair meant something. So an example back to the head coverings of 1 of, of Corinthians, and I, I know I'm taking time. I'm sorry, but I'm going to close up pretty soon. Uh, about wearing a covering, in certain regions, when you're married, you wore a head covering to not wear it as a dishonor to your husband. So single girls would, would not wear a head covering. And then uh, for the prostitution, To wear your hair long and loose and not caught up in anywhere was a sign of that activity. So, hairstyles meant something. So, Paul is saying, hey, most likely the braided hair and what he's talking about was connected to how they wore in connection with the temple cult. You who are coming into the church, don't bring that here, but bring yourself in moderation because we're people coming together. Again, Paul's always about coming together and getting along, being the body. So don't bring that association with the temple call into this church. Don't come in with your braided hair and your gold and your pearls and your upstanding dress. Come in in a a modest way in which we all are. But what's really interesting, then after that, what he says is, let's read this again. Uh, Verse number eleven. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man but be in silence. That word authority is very interesting. It is the only time in the New Testament that that word is used for authority. It's the only one. Now, what happens is when, when you're translating languages, you've got your original language in what's called the receptor language, so Greek to English. There's not always these perfect run over uh, translations. So if you did a, a high school German or, or, or Spanish or, or whatever, you'll know that to be the case. So I did two years of Latin in high school, a couple of years of Spanish, and I did Greek in college. And you notice that words in the original don't always have a straight equal in the receptor language. So sometimes what that means is there may be two or three or four words that when you bring it from this language into, in this case, English, it translates the same word, but it loses the nuances of those words in the original language. That makes sense. Paul is using this word here, authority, no other place in the New Testament. It's actually a pretty rare word in, in Greek of that area. It means authority, but it means in a negative way. Some Bible translations say, I do not allow a woman to teach and upsurp authority. In other words, I don't allow a woman to come in and teach and domineer this situation. That's what he's saying. Now now think. Temple called of Artemis, run by women. They're coming into the church. And Paul is saying, slow down. Come in and learn in submission. I don't allow you to come in and teach and just just take over control like it is over there. Another quote from uh, Craig Keener, a scholar from Asbury, says, this could be read as, I am not allowing women to teach in such a way as to domineer over men. That's what he's getting at. And because Artemis was uh, the prototype in Ephesus, then he says what he says. And just remember, it was Eve who sinned first, not the man. Let, let's bring us back down here. Because, uh, so, so what happens in, in Greek and Roman mythology, they are patrons to certain things. So the story of Artemis goes something like this. She, she was born she's the, the twin of Apollo, Apollos, but yet she was born in such a way in advance that she actually helped deliver her brother. It's, it's a weird story, okay? And she kind of becomes the patron of life. So, so he's saying, just remember, it, it was Eve, who transgressed. Let's not get out of our, our wits here, ladies. Don't come in and try to take over. You're not going to come in and domineer and teach here, but you're going to come and learn and be submissive, but we want you to come and learn. Okay? Now, how this ends here is also pretty interesting. Let's let's read that one more time. Uh, Let's see, verse 15. Nevertheless, she will be saved and childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and self-control. What's that about? Paul is the champion. You're saved by faith through grace, not by works that no man can boast. Why is he putting a work in with salvation for women? One of the things that Artemis was a patron of was childbearing, fertility and childbearing. As a matter of fact, in different regions where uh, Greek and Roman mythology is, where they worship certain gods, they, they kind of took certain, uh, certain things that they highlighted about that god. So in Ephesus... Artemis was highlighted as the goddess of fertility and the protection of childbirth. And what Paul is saying is, okay, come in the church. Leave your cult hairstyle. Leave it out. You're not going to come in here and dominate. And by the way, don't worry about it. You don't have to keep going offering at the temple of Artemis. You're going to be saved in childbirth. You're going to be okay. You don't have to go do this business with this Greek goddess. You'll be safe in childbirth. Just keep up the Christian virtues. You're going to be all right. So, tensions in Paul. We have women who are prophets in the Bible. We have women who are leaders in the church. We have a woman that was leading of a church with her husband, maybe in a prominent place. We have a woman that scholars say is is an apostle. We have all these different things. So when we see Paul says what he says, we can say, okay, there's some tension here, and let's figure out what it's about. You can can go to the broad range of churches and find women do nothing, so women can do certain things here, so women can do everything but be the leader, to over where we are, that we believe that women can walk in the callings and the giftings that God has given them. Amen. Now, all that to say that, I'm going to close with a a quote from a scholar named Ben Witherington. This is going to sound heavy and hard, but I'm going to read it that the problem in the church is not strong women but rather weak men who feel threatened by strong women who have tried by various means even dubious exegesis to prohibit them from exercising their gifts and graces in the church amen so I believe that everybody in this room has a calling and a gifting You've been equipped by God to do something. You know, one of the things about this church is we, we use this verbiage that, that we, we all come to know God. We all find freedom. We all discover purpose. And we all make a difference. I believe you all are here to make a difference. Not only here, but in our, in our society. Amen. How many believe that? that? That's men and women. That we are all filled with the Spirit, responding to the calling and giftings that God has given each one of us. So this is how I'd like to close out service. I'm sorry. I know I preached a long time. I just need to get it out a little bit. But um, here's how I want to close out. There's there's a baby dedication today. So as soon as I have everybody stand up, the, the family that involves, we'd love for you to come down and be with Pastor and Pastor Phyllis and, and take care of that. But here's what I'd like to do. I would like to, oh, and it's not just ladies but everybody, if you're here today and you're just like, That whole business of discovering purpose, I'm not sure I've found it yet. What is my purpose? What have have I been gifted? What what has God placed in my life? I want you to come down here because I'm going to ask for some help. We want to pray with you. Then along with that, you you say, well, I I know what my purpose is, but man, I've just been floundering around. I don't feel like it's getting anywhere. I want you to come down here too also. We want to pray with you today, okay? That's how I'd like to close out today. So if everyone stand up on your feet. So uh, again, the baby dedication, that family, if you would come down over here. Okay. But if you're responding, I'm, I'm just going to say, if you are, are believing that God will give a clearer understanding of what your purpose is in life, come down here. Please come quick. Or if you want greater impact than what God has called you to, come down. We want to pray with you. If I could ask, uh, y'all would just come and join me. We're just going to allow each each to come and spend just a moment with each of you. This is one of those things I want you to pray a prayer prayer and send you home, but we want to spend a moment with each one of you. So be patient with us as we get to you. So come on down. Keep coming if you want to. It doesn't matter what, what you feel your calling or gifting is. It, it doesn't have to be a five-fold ministry stuff. Everybody has a place. Everybody has a purpose. We believe that. In Jesus' name. John, Nita, need to represent our altar team if you want to come down and join us, please. So they're going to maybe sing a song or two. I'm going to pray and, and kind of give a general dismissal. And if you want to go, you can go. But we're going to spend as much time as we need with the people down here. So, Lord, we thank you. Lord, Lord, that you have called each one of us. You have gifted each one of us. Lord, that you have placed in us the work of the kingdom. That we are participating in what you are up to. And I pray in all things that we do, we give glory unto you, honor unto you. Lord, whether it's in this church or out of this church, we are doing the work of Jesus. It's not just something that's sort of a side thing in our life, but we were all called to be a light in this world in some manner. And I thank you for that. Lord, as we send people out today, we go with the passion for the lost. We go with the understanding that you are with us. And we also go with the understanding that you have given us something to do. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.